I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Oh, yeah. It's episode 122 for February 27th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about tiny router bit screws, the effect of sites like Pinterest on uh, on woodworking, wet sanding shellac, mortising into the end of a dowel, data blade recommendations, the purpose of the knicker, CNC in the small shop, and how to encourage finishes to dry faster. Wow, we've got a lot to uh, to do this show, so we better get moving. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, all right. Before we get to good stuff, let's hear a word from our sponsors. I just realized that implies that the sponsors aren't good. (laughs) There go the sponsors. Whoopsie. (laughs) Nothing, nothing but the best. Nothing but professionalism here. Today's show is supported by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. And by Microjig, creators of the Gripper 3D Push Block an American-made precision safety guidance system for the table saw and the wood shop. Visit microjig.com slash newsletter to sign up for their newsletter today. Sweet. Hey, folks, if you have a comment, a question, maybe a topic suggestion, or perhaps you're one of our sponsors who really wants to have a conversation with us about how we feel about them, <laughs> uh, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line, which many of you did on today's show, and you can do that at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, and of course you can always leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, don't forget, you just have to head on over to woodtalkshow.com, and you're going to find all the that great stuff over there and of course you can leave leave a comment over there if you want to preferably a really nice polite one uh with an option for cash to be sent our way i like that i like that one too that's good yeah definitely so so hey we got a lot of stuff to cover as you mentioned at the beginning of the show or maybe a little offline here which is between the three of us and everybody else listening but let's i see shannon you got something on the bench i got something on the bench and mark just has nothing mm-hmm. so nothing shannon why don't you and i have a conversation while mark tries to figure out i'm gonna drink know. some tea and nurse my sore throat there you go <laughs> Wah. Um, <laughs> Shut up, what's on my bench? Well, 
I uh, was talking rule joints a couple weeks ago. Um, so I kind of figured out what I'm going to do for that process. But now I need like pieces <laughs> to join together in a rule joint. So I've been, uh, you might have noticed I put out a video on a resaw, a new resaw that I made. So I've been resawing everything in sight in my shop. And it's kind of funny because last night I realized I didn't have any more eight quarter in the shop. <laughs> I had sawn it all into thinner boards, which is kind of, I don't know, sick, I think is one word for it. Sounds so it to you, me. You now have two benches because if you're resawing everything, I bet you went right down the middle <laughs> right of that. Down the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still looking for like, you know, an attractive blonde assistant to volunteer and I can saw her in half. So that's what the neighbors will finally figure out. All that screaming is coming from the garage. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's that's it. Built a saw and I'm about ready to resaw a big old honking piece of air dried walnut to make a, a top for my um, drop leaf table. Hmm. What about you, Matt? Well, the big thing for me is anybody had seen the uh, around the Valentine's Day post that I put up. I made my wife a beautiful wooden ring that she really, really wanted. And the problem with that is suddenly now all of her friends want wooden rings. Not to mention, so, let me just say, you kind of make the rest of us look bad when you do yeah, something finally, like that. that. Finally, for once in my life, <laughs> I've made my friends look bad. Well, like, I don't want to show this to Nicole. Like, <laughs> you could never be as bad as him. Right. So <laughs> point one for Matt. Exactly. I'm like, yes. But it, it, since I've made that very first ring, I've I've played around with a few different ways to try and knock them out real fast. And the number one way that I have found is I'm finally using my lathe on a regular basis, uh, not for actually doing any turning with turning tools. I just kind of put a mandrel on there with uh, what should turn out to be a ring if I do it the right mm-hmm. way. And then I just sand the living daylights out of it. Wow. So that's awesome, dude. You know what the good thing about a wooden ring is too, is that if you gain weight as you get older, you just blame it on expansion and contraction of the <laughs> that wood. That's actually my thought. That's it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just like, no, I'm not getting fatter. This, this ring, it's uh it's dry. That's it must've been really wet when he made it. Right. <laughs> well, very cool, man. Those, those looked really good. Let's um, put the note, uh, the link in the show notes to any pictures you have of those. Cause those looked really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be more coming. We're, we're going to play around with, with some exotics, which kept, made me keep asking, what are your friends allergic to? Yeah. Should I be concerned about this? <laughs> Being up against their skin and, and going through uh, into their bloodstream? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. One yeah, way like, to find out. Here, yeah. try this on and get back to me in a week. <laughs> it's good experiment. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so that will definitely be fun. Nice. Very cool. <laughs> well, I don't have anything nearly that exciting as either of you have. I haven't even been in the shop. I will say one good thing that happened is since we had the shop built, we put the like uh, cargo trailer that I have out there. I put that right in front of the shop because I had so much stuff in it, I needed to, to empty it. And it's been there since the shop was completed. So it was really, really nice to be able to get that thing out of the way, push it off to the side. And now I can actually enjoy the front of my shop and the light can come in. And uh, But the thing is, I'm not even in there. So I guess I can't really enjoy it until I start woodworking again. It's uh, small steps, small steps. Little get baby the trailer steps. out of the way, eventually get inside. <laughs> One thing at a time. Can't take too much right now. Uh, but that's about it. So let's move into around the web. And I see you got a pretty cool link here, Matt, about Amish people, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, this is so funny. The other day I was at work and listening to my podcast, you know, attempting to stay awake, basically. And one came up for one of the NPR shows that I follow, and they did a whole thing about inside an Amish trade show. And so if you want to, you can take a listen to this. Uh, the link we have here will take you to th- that episode. And the big thing that I got out of it is, of course, 
I think the vast majority of people who are familiar with the Amish say, well, oh, everything must be hand tools and it has to be, you know, muscle powered and stuff like that. Turns out, no, not so much. They use a lot of diesel engines and they hook up a lot of things to uh, air hoses, basically. In fact, in the show, they end up talking about how you could easily, whatever tool you have, we'll figure out how to get an air powered uh, motor onto it for you. So table saws, joiners, uh, miter saws all that good stuff, they'll spin it around with air. So I'm like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> it's pretty, it is pretty cool when you think about it. I mean, a lot of these yeah. tools, maybe it's not the most efficient way to do it, but if you know that there's a market, and I, I read the whole thing and listened to the, the show as well, and it's just interesting because it shows that these people are, they're trying to expand and, and do more things to grow their businesses. And one way to do that is to work faster. So they're trying to get bigger, better tools to do the, the work that they need to do, but they have these limitations. And yeah. how do they get around them? By doing everything with air power. And I guess some of these companies, I mean, I'd like to know the, the details about the companies and who is actually doing this, that, that feels it's worthwhile to make a line of tools that are completely powered on air. You know? Yeah, well, according to the image, DeWalt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the thing. It looked that, that I don't know what other tool companies are represented there, but holy moly, that's a, that's a, just a neat thing to happen. Yeah. And not to mention they've got some mighty fine beards. That, so they do. You, know, you well, fit but, right in there, Matt. What's always fun when, when woodworking related stories pop up in kind of mainstream sites is you get the, the stream of non woodworkers. We get so used to kind of our little community mm-hmm. and let's be honest, we're a very friendly bunch of people. You know, sometimes we, we, we yeah, may some, complain <laughs> sometimes we get the occasional troll, but man, read the comments of that post. There is the biggest like environmental pissing match going on in there. Really? About, oh my God, it blows me away. And there's this one guy that's just like, I don't know whether he's just a jerk or he's just a glutton for punishment because you know, when, when you, when you start to see a comment fight pipe up Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, someone just says, you know what? I'm done with this. And they walk away. This guy won't walk away. (laughs) He just keeps responding. He has to have the last word. And it's, it's a truly entertaining half hour reading through like 10 pages of comments. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't see any of those, but wow, that's crazy. You're yeah. right. We are we are a little bit insulated here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So next time you, you get a, a nasty comment or somebody says something that ticks you off, just go to a non-woodworking site. Go to a gaming site. <laughs> just say to site. yourself, Those are fun. what would somebody say if this was NPR? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. I got a link here. This one was sent in to me today, actually, by uh, Tom Buell, our good buddy. It's a French Oak Rubo project, and this was posted over at the Benchcrafted blog. Have you guys seen this yet? Oh, yeah. no. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's pretty sick. Yeah, so the, basically it's this big workbench build, and they're getting a bunch of enthusiasts together. Specifically, I think uh, you got Chris Schwartz, um, Brees Plains. Uh, who, there's a whole list of people that are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Jeff Miller. Um, Don Williams, of course, Jamil. Yeah. Um, um, uh, Rainey. Um, uh, he makes the infill planes. Mm-hmm. Rainey planes, I think. Um couple other folks. Yeah. So it's basically just this sort of almost mastermind group getting together to build the Rubo workbench from plate 11. And I think that's actually a very common one that some of the current designs are based off of. Uh, but this is going to be true to the original. And the idea is it's kind of kind of like a class, kind of like you're, you're getting together as a group to do this thing together. And you will build this bench with the aid of the equipment that's there. And it's, it's kind of amazing, but it's also really, really expensive. It's 4,500 bucks. 
uh, for this. It's a five day event and you do have to su- supply your own transportation. And, and the other thing is, of course, once you build this thing, you've got to arrange to get it back. I mean, that's the great thing about this bench is it's massive. The real sucky thing is you've got to take it somewhere. So uh, that should be interesting, but it's $4,500. There's only 10 slots open for this. So well, here's the key. They have to have 10. All 10. Ahead. Yeah. If they have nine, they can't afford the French oak. I guarantee you, because we've had some requests at work for French oak, is not cheap. <laughs> and <laughs> the sizes that they're playing with, my yeah. lord. I mean, there's a lot I of pictures. I guarantee you there's no profit margin on this. There's they're a just ton doing of pictures for on the, the sake of it. Yeah, a lot of pictures on the website. Take a look at it. You'll see some of these huge slabs that they're going to be uh, utilizing for this build. So, it, it, yeah, like you said, it sounds expensive, but if most of that is going into, or if not all of it, is going into materials fees, uh, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So hopefully yeah. some, uh, 10 very, uh, rich people <laughs> will be going to build a workbench, uh, with some really cool people as well. So that yeah, it's like probably, uh, uh, 10 people, potentially a few of them will be sa- facing divorce probably because <laughs> the wife doesn't know about this one. So, or they have or a bad husband. habit. They have a bad habit of doing this and they're already divorced. So yeah. One thing I will say is I was just looking at this real quick. They're even saying that some of these trees are directly from the grounds of Versailles and we're maybe growing around that point. So that's another thing is wow. Rubo could have potentially walked around and touched these. So he could have taken a leak on one of those trees. <laughs> exactly. Nice. I like that. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Well, anyway, that's something to go check out. If you want to build a Rubo, that is a very memorable way to do it, for sure. That's very cool. Sweet. Well, hey, we have one more on here. And Brian sent, Brian sent in this link to where a guy is building his own bike frames. Now, we've seen, of course, various bike builders using uh, wood and everything. He said that the catch is that these are made from ash wood, steam bat, and even Kevlar reinforced. Wow. Said, although it's fairly expensive at $3,500, it's pretty neat to make a frame out of wood. I would be in, Brian's curious as to what type of finish you would be using on this. I'm thinking Kevlar reinforced. Do you need a finish? Me too. <laughs> it's <laughs> my kind of project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no finish. Yeah, and on top of it, it's bulletproof. In case the, gun, the bullets start flying, just duck behind your frame. Uh, our soldiers overseas can start riding bicycles now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, th- that'll convey a message of strength. <laughs> yeah. Look at them go. All right. Uh, let's move on to the poll of the week. I know we don't have a, a Matt's poll of the week, so we will just get into the uh, actual Tom Ivino poll of the week. Tom Ivino is actually Italian. Yeah. Well, sometime. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. I don't want to get in trouble again. I already you swore. Probably the shouldn't go there. <laughs> uh, so the question was about staining and whether or not you use. I think he specified um, pigment-based stains, uh, but I think this generally. I think people are answering more in general in terms of uh, staining and dyes. But anyway, 31% said no. I go natural. 22% said I use it to make cheap wood look expensive. You know, well, I was disappointed. One of the answers wasn't that I use it to make expensive wood look cheap. <laughs> that been a I've good done one. that enough times. <laughs> That's pretty much how my die jobs come out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 18% said I use it for artistic purposes. 13% said I use it to unify wood color. 6% say that they use it, but they aren't sure why. <laughs> That's a great answer. And the other 6% say that it's uh, the work of the devil himself. So maybe those two, those two 6% really could be the same thing. They just don't know that it's the devil compelling them to use it. There you go. <laughs> For a total of 12%. I don't know why I feel like I'm wandering around in a haze. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't really, I, I use stain here and there when I need to. You know, like if I'm doing a green and green project and maybe I use some African mahogany, it's a little bit light and I want to get that very deep, dark color that even if I let it go for a long time, it's never going to quite get there. Something yeah. like that, 
I, there's no other way to do it. I, I, I'll stain it in that case. But I, I do make an effort, and I know you guys are probably like this too. You get to a certain point where you no longer have that fear of using high-quality woods, and in Shannon's case, it just seems to fall in your lap. So, no, or just simply gets thrown in the back of his car. Yeah, oops, look what <laughs> happened. Oh, I oh, guess I'll take oh, you home. no. So, so you don't necessarily need to worry so much about staining. And I think it comes into play kind of a lot more in the beginning of, of our uh, learning curve when we're not quite so comfortable spending 7 8 $9 a board foot on lumber. And you want to get something that's a lot less expensive, but you want it to look nice. Yeah, yeah. cherry seems to be the big one. Can you stain it to look like cherry? Can we use cherry? <laughs> How about right. that instead? Let's just use cherry. Yeah, I'm at the point now that, like, if, if the the conversation ever comes up when I'm talking with somebody and they're like, so uh, what color are we going to stain it? I'm like, oh, if you want it stained, it's actually going to cost you more. <laughs> there you go. It's wood color. We're going to stain it the color of wood. All right, let's move on to the email because we do have uh, quite a few here. Or we do, you want to do voicemail first? Uh, we could do, uh, let's, let's save do the voicemail email, for Voicemail, voicemail, email, email, voicemail, voicemail, email. That's perfectly not confusing. Yeah, you lost me at email. Okay, let's do. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna actually make an executive decision here. We're gonna do voicemail first. I want to do email first. Man. <laughs> All right, Roberto called our good buddy Roberto. Oh, Roberto, no. hey, it's getting worried. It's about time, Roberto. right? Roberto. All right, here we go. I'm your daddy. What? Hi there, guys. This is Roberto calling from Illinois. I have a question concerning router bits and the little screws that hold together the actual bearing on top of like uh, pattern bits and OG bits and all those other ones. I seem to lose so many over the years that I can't find a source that I can buy a whole bunch of those little, little screws, the Allen wrench screws. Do you guys know a source where I can buy those? Thanks. Okay. Um, I don't really know a source where he can buy a lot of them, but I do know a source where he can get some of them. So if you just dig around for, um, router bit bearing kits or router bit bearing repair kits, you will typically find sets of bearings that also come with a certain amount of screws. So I found one in particular that's on Amazon. I'll put the link in the show notes for it, but it's a white side bearing repair kit. And it comes with about, I think it's 18 of those little screws. And the thing is priced at about 14 bucks. So nice. it's, it's, and you also get some bearings with that, which, you know, when you're trying to resize router bits and you're, you're trying to uh, maybe use a, a rabbiting bit or something like that, and you want to change the profile, just change the the bearing on the top and you're good to go. So I don't know if you need more than 18 of them, but that's one way to do it. And it seems like a fairly reasonable price and you get some extra bearings. Yep. I just found one over at Woodcraft and this one only has uh, six short and six long bearing screws, mm. but it also does include a few of the extra uh, bearings in there too. And I remember seeing one over at McFeely's also. So yeah, just mm-hmm. a, a quick search and boom, you're there. Yeah, it's a bearing repair kit. That's kind of what you're looking for. Now, you, you may know, even want to... Based on, I think it was the Highland Woodworker, like their very first episode, mm-hmm. they took a trip to the, the Whiteside machine plant. Oh, yeah. Um, seems like it's a pretty nice bunch of guys. You could probably just call them on the phone and say, mm-hmm. I need like a box of those. Yeah. They probably would sell them to you. Yeah. Or, or do this. Just for the fun of it, play a little bearing roulette and just let's see how long it takes for it to spin out. And I'm just kidding. Let's not do that. You know, we probably should erase that whole entire thing. Just put stuff in my cough medicine. Just make a nice bearing bullet across the shop. That's exactly. That's good fun. Okay, we got a question here from Bob. This one, I want to spend a little bit of time on this one because I think it's a kind of a compelling question. Hey guys, it's Bob from Tampa. I love your show, and I had a question. I want to kind of get your ideas on it. I've been seeing a lot of websites out there aimed kind of at the Pinterest crowd and the home crafting community 
that talk about building your own furniture. Um, usually involves home center pine boards and two by fours and two by sixes, lots of pocket screws, glue. Um, really focused at kind of a, a quick and easy way to get something and uh, and not rely on uh, you know the overpriced particle board and veneer stuff from the big box stores. So my question for you is this: On one hand, I can see it as expanding the craft and getting more people into woodworking who might not have considered actually building furniture before. And on the other hand, I can, I can kind of hear a lot of purists tearing their hair out at the idea of building a dining room table out of uh, two by fours. So I'd like to get your thoughts. Uh, does it help or does it hurt woodworking? Very tricky. I mean, I'll say right off the bat, who the heck knows, yeah. but I think I, I see both sides of it just like he does. I feel like, this is something that is great for the craft because a, a great example of this is Anna White. Have you guys seen her? Yeah. Mm-hmm, Do you sure. remember yep. someone photoshopped my face on her body in one picture? <laughs> yes. And which I have was, to say, I saw you in a whole new light that Which day. was fantastic because I, I might you actually... hot. Let me just say. I might be able to pass for like her cousin or something like that. So it actually wasn't that bad of a photoshop. But anyway, um, I did look good sitting on those hail bays. Uh, bays of, yeah, what... Bays of hail? What? Are- Bays of hail. Yeah, that's hail good. Yeah. You know What's what in your cough medicine hail, tonight? Bales of hay is what I'm trying to say. Worst part was is I knew exactly what you were saying. I I, I'll like, just say hay bales. Wrong. No, it's like when you read those stupid things on Facebook where the letters are all jumbled up and they're like, only 10% of people can read this. Um, <laughs> only 10% of people can understand Mark. Exactly. You guys, you guys are three of them, uh, two of them. Oh, geez, the medicine is really kicking wow. in here. Okay, Anna White, uh, who is very entertaining, and she teaches people how to do, I think her, her site used to be called something like knockoff furniture. She was not making any any bones about it. She was making a lot of the crate and barrel type furniture and trying to show people how they can make it themselves and instead of paying these incredibly overpriced uh, rates for this stuff in the stores. And it's exactly what he describes. They're using fairly inexpensive materials and teaching people who might not otherwise even pick up a tool and think that they can do this, teaching them how to do this stuff. So there's a side of me that says, yes, this is awesome. Maybe even a percentage of those people will want to dig deeper and learn more about fine woodworking and they'll find you know, us, they'll find our podcast and, and it makes me feel good. But I see the other side of it. I also see, and we discussed this in the after show uh, last week when we were talking about how things like this might affect professional woodworkers, people who might have been the ones to receive the call to say, I'd like to have this thing built, but I want it better quality than what I see in the store. Uh, could you make it for me? And then that person now gets a job. So there's another side of it like that, that I, I don't know uh, quite for sure whether this is as good as I think it is. I don't right. know. See, I fail to see any negative side to this. Yeah. To me, it's such a huge – I mean Pinterest is all the rage in the social media marketing world. Um, but when you look at – when you look at Anna White's a good example. I mean her viewership is enormous. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there's obviously a much larger marketplace for the – just call it the DIY crowd, I guess. And when I look at just about every woodworker I know, that's how we got started. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, we all, most of us, we, you buy your first home and then you've got these kind of DIY projects. I still have a notebook that I remember my wife and I started filling out when we started looking for a house. It was like little projects that we wanted to do, built in bookcases and things like that. And it's funny, like practically none of it's gotten done. 
but um, <laughs> no, you're too busy building 36 inch um, saw plates. <laughs> exactly. and stuff. He's yeah. busy resawing his bench in half. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it seems to me this is only going to bring more people to the craft and they're going to be people that are like, no, nah, I'm not interested in taking this further. And you know, what did, what did we as the woodworking community miss out on it? They're either inclined to it or they're not. And it seems to me, if we're worried about taking jobs away from the pros, isn't that a totally different demographic? I and mean, that's if what this I'm person maybe. got into it building kind of slightly better than IKEA furniture, are they really going to take that next step for custom-made furniture? Well, and you look at the price point here. You know, you look at something like Crate and Barrel, these other stores who generally the, the furniture looks nice. You know, but mm-hmm. if you really dig below the surface, it's not really all that well built and it is very expensive. So this is something that this particular person, whoever it is, can't necessarily or I can't say can't afford, but maybe can't justify spending that much to buy the the one in the store. But they're inquisitive enough to figure out, hey, maybe I could build something pretty close myself. They probably aren't the kind of person who's going to foot the bill for an actual custom woodworker who would probably come in two or three times as expensive as the Crate and Barrel original in the first place, you know? So, so yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't have any impact and it's all good. Are are we worried about the person who posted on Pinterest taking the job? Because that seems to be kind of a stretch to me. Like the person who has now shown I can build this using pocket screws and stuff. I can't imagine that. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe they'll, but, but again, isn't that what we want? We want them to get bitten by the bug and now just keep going deeper and deeper. Right. So I don't know. I fail to see any negative to this. What do you think? Yeah. No, I, I don't see a negative to it either. And just like you pointed out, that's how I kind of got my start. And I think it does encourage it. It, it makes you start thinking, all right, I, I was able to build this. What could I do to make it better? What if I wanted to try this? And oh, this this sounds really weird, but it, it, it it's experimentation and experimentation in the good way, preferably. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it whets your appetite. It gets you to thinking about it. And maybe it might even make you appreciate finer built pieces because you know what you did to build yours and who knows how long yeah. it's going to last or maybe it does last a long time you know it might actually build an appreciation for it but i just think it's it's that little spark that gets people moving and it, anything that causes that little spark you know i'm i'm probably for it yeah and yeah. and you're absolutely right shannon you brought up a good point too that it's that's how we started really isn't it like yeah, we absolutely. all had the bug to build something for our house or, or for someone. And we're like, oh, I can do that. I've got a couple of tools. And then next thing you know, you're, you're in love with this, this whole concept and this craft. And you just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper until you have a podcast about it. And you talk to your, uh, to your friends every week. Yeah. Until well, you're you on your third it, or fourth bench. There, there's, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but when you, you have that, like, whatever you meet this person and you're like, well, what do you do? Oh, well, I, I'm a woodworker. Nine times out of 10, you get this, like, wow, people still build stuff? Like it's <laughs> yeah. so foreign in today's society that to me, like sites like Etsy have just been so awesome for the handmade movement, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, people still build stuff and people still drive a great deal of joy from building things for themselves. Now, I mean, we're a long way from, you know, pre-industrial whatever. And do we really want to go back there? But it just the, I remember watching the very first episode of Woodworks that was that was it. You know, it was like, holy crap. Yeah, it People was eye opening. Do this. Yep. You know, I never even the thought had never even occurred to you. Now, the thought of of this type of woodworking, we're talking about the the Pinterest stuff. Um, what, again, what we'll call the DIY stuff that had occurred to me, but it was like grab a sheet of plywood, you know, hack it apart, and then slather it in lots of paint to cover up everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and some caulk. 
around the ceiling to cover those gaps. That to me was was woodworking. When I saw David Marks the very first time, I, I was just floored. I yeah. never even knew that something existed like that. And I mean, my God, look what happened. You know, here we are more than 10 years later and it's like, this is awesome. Yeah. So I mean, when I, when I first saw it, I kind of had that same reaction. I actually, uh, based on growing up in a house that was filled with like oak paneling and everything was very country looking, I could not stand furniture made out of wood. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everything from from the point that I started buying cheap furniture in college, and then Nicole and I got married and bought our house. Everything we bought was very contemporary, usually made out of metal, glass. I was absolutely against buying anything that showed significant wood grain. But the thing was, I saw what they were doing with exotics and, and woods that I had never seen before. And then on top of it, you know, modernized furniture that was just way out there. I mean, some of David Mark's designs are nuts. Um, but it really opened my eyes to like, whoa, this is amazing stuff. And then suddenly over time, I had an appreciation for the stuff Norm was building. And it kind of opened up my, you know, things that I consider to be like acceptable house furniture. Um, so yeah, it really does start with something like that. And then you find out that the, that it goes deeper and deeper and then boom. Well, you know how like with, like with anything, not just woodworking, but like anything with technology or just anything in general that you experience when you suddenly mm -hmm. like quote unquote discover it, you ever have those moments, at least I do this, where you're walking around and we always joke around about like you go into a, a house or a building and you start looking at the woodworking in your mind, you're deconstructing and trying to figure out mm -hmm. how it's done. Yeah. Anybody that comes into a new hobby, suddenly you start noticing things. Yeah, it's you know, everywhere. And, yeah, exactly. And so to me, that's like, this is yet another way for people to, you know, I think if people got into this and they started to do these things again, it's that awakening where suddenly you do start paying more attention to it. And again, I, I think it's just like one of those down the road, it's going to cause a greater appreciation of things. Yeah. Yeah. And soon you'll be boring people at dinner parties. You'll get eye rolls from the spouse because <laughs> it's all about woodworking, you know, it somebody. Of who will have that conversation with me. So I'm not the only one standing there by myself because my wife has scared off everybody else or actually I've scared <laughs> off everybody else because they're like, all I want to know is if I could have that beer. And suddenly he turned into a coaster <laughs> conversation. <laughs> oh, great. All right. Well, I guess we can all sort of unanimously agree and uh, say to Bob that there's nothing wrong with Anna White. No, nope. <laughs> yeah. at all. Especially and when Mark's head's on there. <laughs> I think I think maybe possibly they might be tackling this issue on Woodchat tonight. So if you want to talk more oh, really? about Pinterest and woodworking, go to Woodchat. See, well, there's also a different side of that is from a professional woodworker standpoint is exactly. like everything so else. Should I be using Pinterest as a way to, to boost my business? A whole other side of that conversation I'm sure they're going to get into. Yeah. Um, so. Okay, cool. Cliff has a question. It was actually a two-parter and I split it up, Cliff, because you talk too much. <laughs> but we still like you. Hey, Matt, I've been using your uh, uh, your idea around uh, putting a, a thin coat of shellac over wood after you've sanded it to, to, to fill the grain. I'm, I'm wondering, is can you do any kind of wet sanding uh, over over shellac? And I know it's alcohol-based, so alcohol dissolves the shellac, so I'm a little bit hesitant to kind of do that. So uh, just kind of wondering what your thoughts were if you're – uh, doing finish sanding to try to get a really smooth finish. Uh, if you wanted to wet sand or if you could, uh, how would you recommend do that? Okay. Oh. Well, we, we talked about this a couple of seconds before <laughs> the show. Like Matt's like, I don't remember doing that. Matt, yeah. can you give me a link to that when you did that? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll look I'd that like up. I'd like to watch I mean, that. 
Everybody should know by now that when it comes to any of my finishes, I don't make them really smooth. In fact, we'll refer back to the conversation <laughs> on a nice grippy handle for a uh, fishing net, and yeah. I suggested just, just following my normal smooth. Just let Matt finish it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, ultimately, he's saying he applies he applies shellac and then wants to smooth it. So he's looking for ways to possibly wet sand it. And uh, shellac is uh, dissolves in alcohol, so you can't certainly can't use alcohol to right. do it. But really, I mean, isn't well, do, do you do this? Isn't this just French polishing? Well, if you do French polishing, it is. I mean, French polishing is going to be adding more shellac, very small amount of shellac, but using oil as the lubricant to to do it. So, so that's the interesting thing. If he's talking about this type of wet sanding of shellac, maybe what he should start looking into is some basic French polishing methods. Right. There you go. Wee oui, wee. Oui. It'll go right back into the Rubo thing. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, because, <laughs> That's the way to go. Yeah, because ultimately you can wet sand it. You know, once it's dry, you certainly could get a little water, maybe even just add a, a, a drop or two of dish soap in there to give a little lubricant to it. Um, just about anything will allow you to to have some slickness on the surface, anything that's wet like that. Um, but but again, shellac just does so well with a a sort of, um, uh, what do you call it? You get those little pads going and a little bit, a little dab of oil on there, mm-hmm. and you can actually get into French polishing. So, so Cliff, that's what I would recommend checking out because it's a classic way of getting an amazing finish on shellac. And even if you don't go the full French polishing deal with like 20 or 30 coats or whatever they do, um, it might give you some some insights into how you can treat a, a more basic shellac surface. And nice. to be to I guess more to his thing of actually sanding, I've actually seen Don Williams do this at a Sapfa meeting one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lubricant he used was um, I want to say it was mineral spirits. No, no, no. I'm sorry, it was just alcohol. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Don was very, very picky about what alcohol to use. I mean, this is guy who worked for the Smithsonian for years. He's no, not just any alcohol will work. It had to be like Uncle Jesse's finest moonshine or something like that in order for it to work. But he yeah. just wetted his sandpaper with alcohol um, and he applied the coat of shellac on. And I think from a grain or a pore filling perspective, that's what he was going for. Okay. But then he moved like smoothly into um, a French polish. I think Don called it an English polish method because mm-hmm. uh, supposedly there's some difference there between – Whatever, I'm not going to go into that. But yes, I've seen it done, and it looked pretty when it was done. He can also use the, the something I use on just about every piece of furniture anymore is I take a little bit of mineral oil and dilute it with mineral spirits and use that as a lubricant for the Festool pads, uh, the soft mm-hmm. pads up to like, what do they go, like 4,000 grit. Um, yeah. So you can get a really, really nice finish, very, very forgiving way to take something that might have some little dust nibs or, or whatever in the surface. You can use that, uh, and it should work quite well. Okay, second part to his question involves mortising into a dowel. I've been making a lot of uh, handmade knives for uh, friends and, and things like that and, and filing down the blades and everything. And I'll turn the handle on the lathe. Uh, the, the question is, is, do the three of you any know, know of a way to, uh, to put a, um, a square mortise in the end of, it would basically be like a dowel, it would be round. Uh, when putting in knife blades, you know, the mortise needs to be, you know, only about an eighth of an inch wide. And uh, I've been very unsuccessful doing it, so I've just been boring it out round and filling it with epoxy and, and trying to cover it up best I could, but just kind of wondering if any of you knew uh, of another way to do that or if you tried it. Uh, anyway, thanks a lot. Sorry, long-winded questions, but uh, love your show, and you guys take it easy and look forward to hearing your answer. Awesome. Thanks, bye. Thanks, Cliff. Um, what do you guys think? I thought knife handles were always laminated. 
together. That's what I was thinking. Are they solid wood? I always figured it was like you cut the basically the stopped groove in it and then glue the blank together. Right, 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 right. Well, I guess yeah. if he's going for a perfectly round turned handle for whatever reason, that makes it a little right. trickier. Um, but you're right, yeah. I mean, most knife handles are not round in the, in the first place. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, hmm. you, could, hmm. you could just take a really, really small, like, eighth-inch drill bit you know, while you have it chucked up in the lathe and use like a Jacob's chuck on the, on the tailstock mm-hmm. and just advance it while the, um, while it's already chucked up so you can get it perfectly center. So the, the handle is turning being driven by the headstock and you're just advancing the drill bit on the, the tailstock so that you're drilling out an eighth inch hole. That's going to get you an eighth inch wide hole. hole right in the center. Right. Um, but it's not square, <clears throat> but at least no, but it's not it's not square, but at least that would give you a relief to start with, and then you could just grab a um you know an eighth inch chisel yeah, and yeah. work back from that now that you've got that relief hole all the way to depth, it's just a matter of paring the wood away from either side of it. it should be relatively easy. The hardest part is just gonna be holding it steady, you know, probably grab a couple of blocks with v cuts in them to sandwich it in in that kind of v cut block in your vice, and you should be fine. You know, I would think like if I were going the way up, my brain works with this, if I was going to do this, I would do it ahead of time. I would maybe uh, eighth of an inch is small, but I, I would try to get it done while the block of wood is square. Uh, yeah. And then turn it yeah, around that. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that makes much more sense. Yeah. Because then you could just kind of, you know, uh, put the uh, live center. I'm working on the fly here, Mark. I'm just making this up as I go along. <laughs> Aren't we all? I just got lucky. Quit with your logic. What are you doing to me? <laughs> I just got luckier than you did today. Um, yeah. So, so then you kind of get that done while everything is square. That at least might open up his options. Working with a larger, you know, sort of square piece might be a little bit easier for him, but at an eighth of an inch, I was originally going to say, well, I mean, you could use the hollow chisel mortiser, but I don't know that there's an eighth of an inch hollow chisel mortising chisel out there, is there? I, I don't know What's if there is or not. I mean, those things. I mean, how long is the knife blade? If the knife blade's six inches long, I, I've only ever used a, a benchtop um, mortiser. What, mm-hmm. what kind of travel does the head have? Yeah. Can you put a six inch vertical piece underneath it? Mine, you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, hey, you yeah, know, well, I can do that with my mortise chisel. So, man. Yeah, that's true. I was just going to say, look, I I thought there was, I, I just did a search and I thought there was something coming up saying one eighth inch. I mean, I know how, like for the, the hollow uh, mortising chisel, I, I know, are there that many manufacturers that are making an eighth inch regular chisel? Supposedly, I thought that was like one of those you had to kind of, you can find them. They're just not always the best. Um, I know my little like green and green things to get it started. You know, his little oh, yeah, 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 ebony yeah, plug yeah. chisels that right. Veritas makes now. Yeah. You could do that to at least get it started. But Are I they, don't do know. Do they whether... come in eighth inch size? I don't I'm going to head there Probably. right now. Lee Valley, look up Lee Valley uh, hole punches. See what they say. That's a really small ebony plug. Yeah, it's, they've got a new vacuum filter cleaning wand. Oh wait, where am I looking for? <laughs> it is so easy to get distracted. I'm going to do so. And now it's time for a new segment. Matt's going to start Matt. doing gardening. Um, uh, well, either way, uh, interesting, interesting thing. I, I, for something that small, though, I guess it depends on the depth and how much it would cause you problems if you were trying to to chop that down. Like you said, with an eighth inch chisel, if you have one that small. Um, interesting stuff well if anyone else has ideas maybe this is a problem someone else solved uh, let us know and if matt finds anything he'll chime in with it i'm I'm looking i'm looking okay let's move on to where are we now up to our emails up to our emails all right 
I got the oh, first wait, one. Uh, okay, the smallest that the uh, square hole punches goes down to three sixteenth of an inch. Oh, so okay. just the sixteenth inch too big. There you go. Get a bigger knife. Uh, thingamajiggy. There you go. There you go. Perfect. All right. Uh, we got an email here from Robert. He says, "I'm looking for a nicer dado set for the table saw. I'm tired of that cutting dados. <laughs> yeah, tired of cutting dados that aren't perfectly flat and square. What dado set brand would you recommend that makes router quality dados? I've already decided on a six inch because of the article on the woodwhisperer.com." I don't know which article, but it must <laughs> have been have, a good one. I must have posed next one. to that that article Matt did on yeah. shellac. I must have posed a convincing argument. Um, what I'm going to recommend is the one that I've been using the most lately, which was a little bit as, of a surprise to me because I have used Forests. What do they call that thing? The Dato oh, King. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or? Uh Well, no, the, the, the I've used Forests and I've also used Tenru's uh, Dato oh. blades, and both are pretty good. But I have been using the Datonator Junior like oh. almost exclusively now. And it is a six inch dado blade. I find that it's certainly clean enough. I mean, almost every dado blade is going to give you those little, uh, those little ridges on the outside yep. edge because it's got to score the, the wood as it goes. And it's what gives you good clean cuts and things like plywood. Um, but this one in particular, it's 189 bucks and I really enjoy this one. I think it's a, a great dado blade. Nice. Yeah. I, I've had really great results with the, the forest King and I, mm-hmm. I really, really liked that one. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I really wonder when people are like, I want something with really nice, clean edges. Are they looking at that and going, but there's still something here, yeah. you know, those marks. And I definitely would not pay attention to those. I would pay attention to the exact fit because when I have used the, a really good dado set and I have a really crappy one too, which mm-hmm. that one I break out just for the fun of it, just because I haven't sworn that much when I'm working on a project. But <laughs> when I try those <laughs> Side by side, I'll put the, you know a piece in there, and you notice right away like the crappy one. It's kind of sitting up, you know, just flush of it. Mm-hmm. But then I put the really nice one. It's nice and flush. It's square in there, and it doesn't matter how many marks are left on it. It fits perfect. There you go. Well, I'm not going to recommend the dado blade set that I used because it was probably one of the reasons I'm now a hand tool guy. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Let's just say I bought it at Sears. Oh boy. Say no more. <laughs> All right, let's see what do we have here. So anyway, hand tools. Yeah, this one's me. Um, this is from John, I think. Yeah, yep. he says I I recently picked up a Lee Nielsen Rabbit block plane and I love it. It's in all caps. The description says it is a rabbit block plane with knicker. To my knowledge, a knicker is a noise that a horse makes. <laughs> <laughs> While I realize this may be a goofy question, I have no idea what a knicker is or how a part of a plane came to have this name. <laughs> what is the history of the knicker? <laughs> we all want to know. That's an awesome question. John, <laughs> you're my favorite person today. Nice. Um, the knicker is that little circular blade that's on the side of the plane just ahead of the the blade. Um, so imagine like a, like a Veritas cutting gauge, that little round circular cutter. This is the same thing, although the knickers usually have one flat edge because on Lee Nielsen planes, you're supposed to be able to retract the knicker. Mm -hmm. But what the knicker does is score the wood ahead of the blade. When you make a cross grain cut with the rabbiting block plane, um, you're still going to get tear out on the surface. If you've ever tried to just cut straight across the grain, it kind of flakes up. So that little blade scores it ahead of ahead of the blade and kind of cuts the fibers off. So they come away cleanly and you get a clean shoulder. That's yes. all the knicker is. It nicks the wood ahead of it. Now, what I'm curious about historically in previous designs of similar tools, do any other tools really have a knicker installed or is this a Lee Nielsen development? Oh no, no. I mean, this, the Lee Nielsen is basically a, um, 
a revival of a Stanley plane. Right. The number 507? Uh, no, I don't know. Sergeant made a small. I, I'm, I'm just. This is just off the top of my head. Sergeant, <laughs> just come right out and say when you get above like a number eight in the Stanley numbering series, I get very confused and I've never cared enough to this, pay attention. Just to clarify, I get, I get this that is all uh, the time. I have the Stanley whatever, and I'm like, I have to go to um, to Patrick's website and look it up to figure that's, out. That's which where I'm headed right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to learn you guys. Years ago, Sergeant made a small rabbiting block plane, the number 507. It's a great design. Handy as a block plane and wider than most rabbit planes, making it easy to trim tenons to fit. The blade is also bedded at 12 degrees. This is all off the top of my head. Uh, Non-adjustable mouth, inch and three quarters wide. Um, Yeah, that's what they say on the website. So it's a Sergeant 507 is what it's based off of. Well, I mean, Knickers dado planes have a Knicker iron. They have the cutter ahead of it. Um, You're talking 18th century, 17th century design planes have a separate iron that's ahead of the blade. You just don't see it much, though, on on current things, like new new remakes of models that are out there, like everything that's new. I've never really seen any other tool that has it. I don't know. I mean, if if it's meant to be a cross-grain tool, then it probably should have one. Yeah, you would think. Um, like Like a shoulder plane or something. Well, shoulder plane's not meant for cross grain. But work. I use it it's that way. Work. Sure, you use it that way, but technically a shoulder <laughs> plane was originally designed to work on the end grain, the shoulder. For the shoulder? Of tenants. I don't know how you figured that out. Yeah, I was, I was lucky. <laughs> I right. looked it up on, on the Superior Toolworks, Pat Blood and Gore, Patrick's Blood and Gore, nice. whatever that website is. I'm just going to keep my eye out for more knickers. Okay. I, I, want, I want more knickers because I love Lacy it on the. Frilly ones. I love it on the. Um, the rabbiting block plane is incredibly handy to have. So I want to, uh, I want to get Matt back on the line here. <laughs> We've lost him. I was wondering, you got awful quiet up in Michigan. Yeah. I heard a weird noise and then Matt disappeared. Um, okay. Well, Matt, we'll see you when we see you. Let's see if I can get him back on. Oh, is that him? I'm trying, I'm trying to add him back in. Bear with us folks. Matt's daughter is watching something on Netflix. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sure this that's just goes, this just goes to show you that without Matt, the show just falls apart, falls apart completely. The wheels just come off. You and I start debating knickers and it just doesn't end from there. <laughs> um, OK, going on to the next one. We'll try and get Matt back on. Uh, let's see. This Except one. that Matt was going to read the next. Yeah. One, huh? so. OK, <laughs> well, he says I'm going to do my be- best Matt impression. Chortle. You three obviously have a very solid grip on hand tool, hobbyist, hybrid, and professional shop woodworking. But I was just curious that uh, the influx of shop-level CNC machines and their decreasing size and price tags, if any of you have seriously considered using one in your shops. I love mine, and the only negative I could think of is that it can take over my hobby in a similar way to the wood-turning vortex, uh, which I've also experienced. Thanks for all you do to entertain, educate, and promote our craft. Lawrence from Tucson. Oh, Tucson. <laughs> Tucson, Tucson. Tucson. I like saying Tucson. God. Uh, so, Matt, welcome back. Hey, thanks. I, I really appreciate you guys taking my phone call. A uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. If you wanted to leave the show, all you had to do is, is let us know. I, mean, I had to pee really bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do you guys say? We have uh, two more emails here, so we actually have a little bit of time. Okay. So uh, CNC, in the small shop, 
Would you, if you, well, oh, man, Shannon, you'll... you don't even have to answer this question. Well, I'm just going to say <laughs> I'm going to buy a 3D printer before I buy a CNC machine. Oh, oh I'm nice. so glad you said that. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just having this conversation the other day and I, I absolutely, I was geeking out with the kids in the car because we listened to a show, an NPR show, and uh, they were talking about 3D printers and, uh, you know, just how easily accessible they were coming and what you can do with it and the fact that you can use, you know, a uh, Kinect uh, scan as your main scanner for putting stuff into it mm. you know all this great software i want one and if my shop went in that direction uh it would probably be matt's basement cnc you know podcast <laughs> just push this button chortle yeah exactly i could make a lot of chortles i could make a lot of rings and make a lot of very people ha- you know a lot of people happy or angry <laughs> I, I actually got one of those small cnc it wasn't the shark i forget what it was but it was a small benchtop version that uh, I was supposed to review. The problem was I didn't have a PC and it required uh, PC software to, to, okay. to get it to work. So <laughs> it, it was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to send it back now. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't even get a chance to use it. But honestly, it's like they're, they're interesting, but I guess I'm a little bit spoiled in the fact that one of my uh, good friends locally has a full-size CNC machine. Right. So anything I could possibly need done via CNC, I could just ask him to do it. He helps me out. I honestly don't really have a whole lot of interest in going down that path myself. Not that it wouldn't be useful, but I just don't personally feel there's a need for it. It's a, it just doesn't grab my attention. Well, I can guarantee by the time I got one, after about it, you know, once the shininess was off of it, it would just mm-hmm. be like, oh, I got to go make something on the CNC. This isn't going to be as much fun as I thought. <laughs> it's like the Jetsons woodworking. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, man, I miss the good old days when I use a, you know, a hacksaw the wrong way, you know, yeah, and all that good honest, stuff. How many times can you get it to print out your name or your logo? <laughs> on things, look what I know? can do. Nicole, look at this. <laughs> We have we have matching initials on our kitchen counter now. Yay, me. Yeah, I, I think it is interesting when you can do carvings and things like that. But I think ultimately the short the small ones seem like they might be somewhat limited use. For me, my biggest use of CNC is in uh templates and things like that. When I want a good, reliable template made that I can then distribute to other people, it becomes yep. pretty handy to have a CNC machine. Well, you know that, that was- that's interesting how what what kind of software in what you know, way? where does the input come from? Like because SketchUp has gotten so popular, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Can you take a SketchUp file and create CN, a CNC? Um, I'd imagine there. I know when I work with um, uh, with Ron on this stuff, there are ways to pull these things in and, and have them converted over. I don't know exactly what magic and black right. magic he, he uses. As to I do understand it. it, SketchUp's kind of a very low powered. Um, drafting tool yeah um, yeah and, but but i would imagine you could probably get a certain profile or put it in like a, a two-dimensional image in there and pull it out that way and just bring it into either autocad or whatever language those those things understand right um, but i know we have done that with several guild projects where we had a design and all i had was the sketchup drawing and i was able to send it to ron and he was able to extract it and make a template so you know I, I mentioned a while ago there's a resource called uh 100k garages and it's 100kgarages.com ah, yes. and that's a, a website that will help you find a fabber even create and design things inspiration estimating costs all that good stuff so that's one of those if you don't have a friend but you want to make a friend who mm-hmm. might just be around the corner that might be a good resource to check out that is Trey fab that is awesome all right so let's move yeah. on to the last one we got here um all right, let's see here. What do we have? Yeah, Matt, you why don't you do that one since you missed it? Okay. Oh, darn. Uh, it says, uh, this is coming in from Kurt, and he says, what tricks do uh, you guys have to encourage a finish to cure faster? I find yelling 
screaming, <laughs> calling on. it names. What's wrong having, with you? Threatening it with my wife coming over. Those are ways to do it. <laughs> uh, but Kurt was saying, over the holidays, I built a small box for practice and finished it with two coats of diluted Zinsser shellac and three coats of full strength. There were 12 hours between each coat. After waiting three days, the finish seemed soft and my patience was wearing thin. Never a good combination. Mm-mm. I then had the bright idea to use my halogen work lights to help speed up the curing process. I came back after six hours to discover my project had exploded. <laughs> the shellac finish turned into a complete bubbled mess. I've got a warm basement workshop. It's winter in Winnipeg, so humidity is sitting at approximately 35% in the shop. Is there another way to encourage my finish to cure faster? Um, I am going to say that I actually, when it comes to finishing, I hate it so much, but I have great patience with it. So <laughs> I, I have no problem in letting it finish sit around for much longer than normal. So I've never actually experimented with speeding it up, but it does seem like if you thin down the coats, that would encourage it to dry. It just means that you have to add more coats to it. So you might be getting done in half the time that the normally would dry, but you're now doing twice as many coats. So it might actually think, even out. You think maybe his Zinsser shellac had expired? Uh, that was my first guess. I mean, anytime you have shellac taking that long to dry, it just Seriously. may be old. It's like, how do you encourage a finish to cure faster? Use shellac. I mean, <laughs> 12 <laughs> hours between coats. I mean, I'm talking two hours. Yeah, shellac is moving dry. on to my next coat. <laughs> yeah, there's times <laughs> here, guys, that I will, I can work the surface within 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. You know? oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those first rings I was building, I tried it with uh, shellac just to see how the finish is. Yeah, and it's like dip, dip, turn off the light, turn around, but come walk back in like five minutes later and it's ready for the next coat. Yeah, so so that's the first thing I would look at, Kurt, is possibly take a look at that can. How long have you had that in the shop? Has it been open before? It's been on a shelf for a couple of years. And I know they give those Zinsser uh, bullseye shellac things, they give them really significantly long expiration dates, like three years, which <laughs> is pretty... You know, for when it comes to shellac, anyone who actually mixes their own, you know, you've got like what six months on that stuff. So years on the shelf is is pretty crazy. So I, I think they might stretch it a little bit. So if if it is a couple of years old, that could very well be the case. Now to his other point about making any finish dry faster, generally hot dry air is like the best way to get a finish to dry. Now, not super hot, but warm dry air and lots of fresh air is the way to encourage a finish to dry. It's so in other words, Arizona. <laughs> yes. Bring it to my house and I'll help you. Um, so what I would rather see him do instead of using like a halogen lamp of some sort is to get one of those um, uh, space heaters that you kind of has like the ceramic element in it. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're not, you don't have an open flame, but it's going to help to circulate dry, warm air in that space. That is going to probably be one of the best things you can do to encourage a finish to uh, accelerate its dry time a little bit. Even nice. better, send it to us, and we'll put it between the three of us during Wood Talk Online. Oh, it'll be <laughs> toasty about warm. a lot of hot air circulating around. <laughs> toasty warm, and it'll have a lot of hair stuck to it, too. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking for me and Matt, I don't know about you, Shannon. You don't look yeah. too hairy to me. No, well, so Alex probably would, would contribute. <laughs> yes, that's I have dog hair. Lots of that. <laughs> oh, wonderful. All right, so hey, uh, we always try to encourage people to go to iTunes and leave us a, a nice little review, and we'll read your review here on the show. We've got a couple... This one is from Tommy from Texas. He says, the one and only. I don't know if he's talking about him or us. The one and only Tommy from Texas. Sure, the one and only Tommy from Texas. <laughs> Greatest podcast I ever subscribed to. The fact that, uh, <clears throat> the fact, in fact, the only podcast I ever subscribed to. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. One for one. Absolutely. We're, we're good. Uh, but if the shoe fits, uh, why keep searching? Love the way y'all keep it new and fun each week. The bar has been set so high. Don't bump your head, guys. 
Nice. Thanks, Tommy. Hey, well, I've got one here from Joiner46. I wonder what happened to 45 and 47. They're probably not listeners. Mm-mm. Anyways, informative woodworking. Great job covering all aspects of woodworking. And I bet after a few episodes, uh, either from today's or coming up, uh, it'll probably be like even aspects of woodworking we don't want to know about. <laughs> so true. All right. Well, here's here's a new one. We've reached new heights. Carter904 says, better than car talk. hey Oh. <laughs> I have always loved the radio show Car Talk, but have never been much of a car guy. Wood Talk Online connects the dots. These guys know what they're talking about when it comes to wood woodworking compared to metal woodworking. Um, they're also really funny. Keep the shows coming every week. So are we to glean from this that he's not really a woodworking guy either? I don't know. He um, says he watches his car talk, but he's not a car guy, and Wood Talk Online's like that? No, he says Wood Talk Online connects the dots. La, 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 la. All righty. Yeah, don't listen to my brother. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we got another one here from Red Stick Slim. Fantastic name. There's nothing I'd rather do than work in my shop while listening to this great podcast. Don't ever stop. Thanks. Oh, that's my favorite thing to do, too. I just sit in the shop and just listen. I don't do it. <laughs> over and over. Work. Just and he fast forwards to his parts, too, which is nice. <laughs> oh, so you guys have been listening. <laughs> is it sad that I laugh at all my, my parts, too? Oh, that guy's that's... the best. I love him. <laughs> this guy's great. I'm so funny. I can't believe I said that. All right, so we have one more here, and this comes from Jay cathers that's what i'm going with and it says review great podcast with great information i like the title it's very review. straightforward <laughs> let you know what this is about it's yep. not about you know a sales pitch it's about a review it's a review all right Solid. hey should also mention today's show is sponsored by festool at festoolusa.com and microjig at microjig.com thank you to uh to those great companies for helping us out and also thank you to eddie barnes who was uh someone who signed up as a recurring donor which you can do as well to help support the show, just go to woodtalkshow.com. You'll see the links over there on the left-hand side. And you could sign up for a $2, $5, or a $10 recurring donation. And that just kind of helps us stay motivated. It helps me bribe Matt and Shannon to come here every week and sit with me on Skype and talk in front of people. It, it, it also keeps three woodworkers from potentially being taken to the dark side, you know, the knitter side. <laughs> the so their donations help to save us. That is true. All right, Matt, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, if you got any comments, questions, or maybe a topic suggestion, there's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Don't forget, you can even call in a voicemail. And if it's long, Mark will chop it up so it sounds a little bit shorter. <laughs> 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And just like Mark mentioned for where the donation site, our donation button is, head on over to woodtalkshow.com. So while you're leaving that donation, you can also check out all the show notes and leave a comment about today's show because you know you want to. Oh, you can even download stuff over there too. That's really cool. It's that a new feature. Can. That you can. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to the chat room for hanging out with us and go in your shops and look for your knickers that's right <laughs> or just start pinning stuff on pinterest because you never know or go to anna white's site and just look at her stuff <laughs> uh, okay, hey, don't, don't take that the wrong way that was totally g-rated <laughs> you, what i said you can combine the knickers and that never mind <laughs> didn't uh we're gonna go now goodbye <laughs> goodbye see ya about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.